we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20, chapter 12 and chapter 20. And the title of my teaching today is a one-week teaching. The title is this, Irrational Mistakes We Repeat. Irrational Mistakes We Repeat. I often like to start a sermon with a story that relates, and hopefully it's interesting or comical or so forth. So I asked my family, I said, what is a mistake that I keep making over and over? And my wife, Beth, who led worship today, she instinctively responded, do you have all day? So after we laughed about that, the, she did, as a Kentucky fan, point out the fact that I regularly take my boys to Vanderbilt sporting events. Yes. And that is an irrational mistake. My daughter, Abby, she pointed out that I tend to tell jokes and stories that I really enjoy telling, that I find funny, that no one else laughs at. And the older we get, guys, we tend to do that, don't we? Jeff Rush, uh, he was at the first service. Uh, he saw this graphic you see on the screen on Facebook as I was kind of trying to promote the sermon and generate some interest. And so you see the graphic on the screen, irrational mistakes we re- re- repeat. And he wrote, does this have something to do with the Titans coaching hire? Well, it is comical to think about some of the little things we do in life that we tend to repeat. But the truth is this, is that we also, in our character and in our choices, we tend to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Despite the consequences, despite how it negatively affects us or it negatively affects people we love the most, human nature means we often do not learn from our mistakes Today, I want you to see in the life of our spiritual father, Abraham, he was really not different than us. I I mentioned this last week, but it will help give us context. The first 11 chapters of Genesis is almost like prehistory. It's these huge stories that tell the whole development of humankind. Then Genesis 12 really shifts down to one particular man one particular family that God says, I've chosen Abraham and his descendants, who now we know as the Hebrews, the Jews, to be my covenant people. And now we who believe in Jesus are part of that family we've been grafted in through Jesus. So it is something really remarkable happens in Genesis 12. And we're going to read that here in a few minutes. God gives this unbelievable promise to Abraham. So unbelievable, when you read it later, it's going to encourage you. And as you kind of skim through your scripture, you'll see that almost immediately after Abraham receives the promise, he received some persecution and had to go to Egypt. And there in Egypt, he told a lie. He said that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. Now, we find out later in chapter 20, this is a little strange, but Genesis is just strange. It just is. There's no getting around it. Um, Sarah was technically his stepsister or half-sister. And before the law was given and when humanity was still developing, I guess some of the um, social stigmas we have today that are good and healthy, they did not have. So he he gave a half-truth. The most effective lies 
have truth in them. Do you realize that? Sometimes that's why we can justify our lies. We can say, well, yeah, she really is my half-sister, so I'm not going to claim her as my wife. But Abraham was deceptive. And he was deceptive in Genesis chapter 12 and specifically calling Sarah his sister instead of his wife. Now, here's the reason I talk about that is because a few chapters later, years later, chapter 20 of Genesis, which is what we'll focus on today, he makes the same exact mistake, which is a sanitized word for he commits the same exact sin. He does the same thing over again. I want us to unpack this a little bit because I think we're going to see ourselves. I see a lot of myself in Abraham, and I think you'll see a lot of yourself also. So here is a question before you. You have notes, the review. There's an outline you can follow with me or in the U version. Why do we repeat mistakes? Well, I suppose there's a lot of different answers for this, but I want us to look at the context today to give us insight. And now we go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and this amazing scripture, this scripture has significant emphasis to my life. I was given, the Lord spoke the scripture to me in 1994 in relationship to my ministry. Genesis chapter 12, verse one, the Lord said to Abram, before his name had changed to Abraham, go out from your land, your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And the key, and you will be a blessing. Let me give some commentary here. First of all, this gives us great insight that notoriety and earthly power and popularity and fame really is not about you, okay? It's really not. We like to think that God is so enamored with us, he's just gonna make us famous and powerful and, and it's just all about us. It really isn't. What is it about? I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Every talent you have, every bit of authority and power and ability you have is so you can bless others, so you can be a blessing to someone else. And so verse three, it goes on and says an incredible statement. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And again, it emphasized the reason for this. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. This is an amazing statement. Think about this. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. This is directly from God himself. The promise of God downloaded Abraham. How many know that if you heard that directly, that that would or should fill you with much confidence? And you would feel like invincible. Those of you who are over the age of 40, you've got to help me answer this question. Do you remember when we used to spend lots of money on Mrs. Pac-Man? Okay, but you know, just shoving quarters in that rinky-dink machine, that primitive video games. All you millennials would be ashamed of the money we wasted. So Mrs. Pac-Man would be dot, 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 move directions, dot, 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 going all over the place. And there was something that Mrs. Pac-Man would eat. I don't remember, was it an apple or an orange? There was something that gave her superpower. What was it? A cherry. Thank you. I asked Stacy Douglas what that was right before service, and we could not remember. So I thought, well, this is a good exercise. We'll just learn together. Mrs. Pac-Man would eat this cherry, and then 
none of the ghosts could get her, right? She was invincible for about 30 seconds. It was awesome, man. I mean, it's just eat, 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 go, go, go. Nothing could stop her, right? Does that not feel like this verse right here? I mean, if we really believe this is the promise of God, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. I mean, this is the, this is the key to a fearless life, so you would think. But what happened is that right after Abraham received this promise, he moved into fear. And when he moved into fear, he lied. He lied and he deceived a whole, the nation of Egypt in chapter 12. And this is why, here's number one, is why do we repeat mistakes? Often it's because we doubt the promise. Write it down. We doubt what God said is really going to come to pass. And this is the irrational part of our decision-making because rationally, if we really believe that God is for us, God is for us, Romans chapter eight says, and they ask this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son, surely will he not support God's elect? This is when we're operating in faith, we're feeding our spirit, man. We're washing our minds with the word. We're focusing on the message that's right. We should have this sense of pure, holy confidence that God is going to get us through every situation. It doesn't matter if it's famine. It doesn't matter if it's political oppression. It doesn't matter what it is that God, his word is going to come to pass and he's going to come through on his promise. But like Abraham We hear the word, but when we get in the middle of the circumstance, we forget. And what replaces, what replaces the promise of God? Fear. And when fear comes, when fear comes, it causes us to make decisions we normally would not make. So chapter 20, going on in the narrative, he goes to a place called Gerar. And there at that place, again, he repeats the exact same sin. And we won't read the narrative uh, in, in order for the sake of efficiency today. But we see that he, in chapter 20, and if you have your scripture there, you can see that he makes that lie again. And he lies to King Abimelech. But Abimelech does not, does not touch Sarah, and God preserves him from committing sin even though he was innocent. Abimelech is really upset about this. And now let's go to verse 10 of Genesis chapter 20. So Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you intend, what did you intend when you did this thing? That's a good question. How many know that when we really do something dumb, something irrational, something out of our character, this is a good question to ask. What did you intend when you did this thing? What were you thinking, Abraham? What were you thinking when you lied about Sarah? And this is what Abraham replied. This is kind of the heart of what I feel like God's speaking to us today. When I was studying the scripture in recent weeks, this is what really arrested my thoughts. Verse 11, and Abraham replied, I thought there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Now this is, I believe, a challenge for our generation and especially a challenge to uh, some of us who have been around a while in this room is that we, number two, 
We irrationally fear culture. We do so for good reasons. It is literally incomprehensible the amount of change that is occurring in our lifetime and here in the 21st century. We cannot even begin to process how the world is changing. And the world has changed drastically just in the eight years that I've been pastor here. I preach differently and preach about different things when it comes to cultural topics, when it comes to um, the international the international perspective of what's happening globally because the world is changing in ways we never could imagine. We're educating ourselves differently. We're processing information differently. The arrival of globalization means we have interaction with people we, never, we only just read about National Geographic in a generation past and a generation behind us. We, we fundamentally process information differently and we relate to each other differently. And all of this change, do you know what change brings about? Change brings about fear. Whenever change occurs, our natural instinct is, how is it going to affect me? So in many ways, we're living in this perpetual state of fear because things that we used to rely on, we cannot rely on anymore. You cannot rely on this bygone fact and I hate to say this, but I ha- we have to be honest. This is not a Christian-based nation anymore. And it causes us to fear. causes us to wonder about the future. It causes us to wonder about things that we used to rely on. We used to rely on a cultural custom that, by and large, had a propensity towards Judeo-Christian values. That's not the case anymore. We used to rely upon the Constitution. We used to rely upon um, knowing where clear lines were. We used to rely on a sense of nationalism. We used to rely on a sense of American exceptionalism. These were all things that you can argue back and forth where those things land, but I can, you cannot argue this, is that those are faulty places to place our trust. And it used to be just really easy to place our trust in those types of institutions and systems. Now, I want to say one thing before this just becomes a huge bummer of a sermon. Um, culturally, and I think it's, it's, it's very, very much important for us to realize this. Do you know that some things have improved culturally? And sometimes we forget that. There are some things now that reflect God's heart more accurately than it used to when we look at ourselves as a cultural people. So it's not all bad I think that if you thoughtfully and reflectively think about our development as a people, that some things have improved and we can say, thank God for that. The point I'm trying to make today is not to have an argument over where culture is and what your interpretation of culture is. I'm trying to bring up a point this, that Abraham feared the people. He feared the system. He feared the king Abimelech of Gerar. And he feared the people's lack of godliness. And that fear caused him to revert to old behavior. That fear caused him not to trust God, but to trust his own way, his own strategy, his own system, to trust his own perspective. And that is the vulnerable place that we are. Because when we begin to succumb to fear, 
And we say, we're gonna lose our nation or we're gonna lose our rights or we're gonna lose our neighborhood or we're gonna lose whatever we hold on to, the way of life. Then we begin to revert on old ways that are not the heart of Christ. You see, the old ways are not always bad. There's some things that we used to do that we need to remember that do reflect the heart of God. But the old way of violence, the old way of dividing people and labeling people and oppressing and causing division to come, moving out of fear, this does not lead us to the higher future that Jesus has for us. He has called us to be rooted not in the whim of culture that changes from hour to hour, but to be rooted in that which is timeless, that which is established, that which is bigger than our country, bigger than any political system, bigger than any presidential candidate, bigger than any political party, bigger than any education perspective, bigger than any institution of man. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ has thrived in every era The gospel of Jesus Christ has thrived in every culture. The gospel of Jesus Christ has thrived when kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen. And why I love my country and why I want to do everything I can to make sure our country continues to prosper and to to do well. And I think that that's great for the kingdom of God. I know this is I know that no matter what happens to my city or my country, which I am responsible for, that in the end, I do not have to fear because the gospel of Jesus Christ will endure, will thrive. His name will not be affected by the way it's interpreted by others. His name is established. He is beginning. The alpha who has no beginning, the omega who has no end, and he is a source that we can trust. We can count on him. Man, I have to take a breath more often. I'll get y'all to clap more often. I just see in verse 11... This jumps out at me. I thought there's no fear of God in this place. The Bible doesn't say he was wrong in that interpretation. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that that's not the case. But when he focused on the people and when he focused on what was happening there in Gerar, that led him, that led him to operate in sin. It led him to number three. It's easy to return to a previous tendency when we're in fear. Write that down if you're taking notes. It's easy to return to a previous tendency when we're in fear. Now, I've kind of talked about us as a people. You know, a culture is the attitudes and behavior of a group of people. So we as the church of Indian Lake have a culture. We as the South have a culture. We as America have a culture, so on and so forth. And I've kind of focused on that, but now let's, let's, let's think about this as individuals. Because what happens to us as individuals is we hear the call of God in our lives and we, we, we hear a different way, a chosenness, a calling, a standard. And then when we begin to doubt his word and to move in fear, we go back to tendencies that once ruled us. A lot of times it is, maybe abusive language to our family. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's immoral living. Maybe it's a a dependency on a substance. Maybe it's a dependency on food. Maybe it's um, just uh, a sense of apathy where we don't want to get involved, a disrespect for authority where we question authority in every level, in every area. It could be dozens and dozens of things. 
we tend to go back to negative tendencies when we're in fear instead of faith. So I, w- I want to challenge you today is go back to the promise. Believe God is who he said he is and what he promised to you will come to pass. And now I want to share with you the closing truth. I know we haven't gone sequentially through chapter 20, but I want us to go back to chapter four because I want, excuse me, verse four of chapter 20 because I, I want you to see a little bit of yourself in Abraham because I certainly see myself in Abraham. Verse four, now Abimelech had not approached her. He had not approached Sarah. So he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he, didn't Abraham himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. Now, I'll say this to us men. This really jumped out to me is that men, often when we sin, that we lead our wife into sin. So it is. He not only said it, but because he said it, Sarah said it also. Abimelech goes on and says this word. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Think about this. God agreed with him. Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. And I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. I know this is an odd story, but I want you to hear something here. Abraham's sin. Abraham's sin. Let's go back to verse 6 for a second before we go to 7. Abraham's sin as a leader negatively affected a lot of people. First his wife, and then a whole kingdom. Abimelech said, this isn't fair. This Abraham guy is messing up my kingdom. Remember what Abraham was supposed to do? He was supposed to bless the world, was he not? But instead, Abraham was bringing, he was was bringing disruption to the kingdom. Abraham was negatively affecting. You know why? Because Abraham was weak. Abraham was a liar. He didn't just lie once, he lied at least twice. Abraham was passive. He wasn't authoritative. Abraham messed things up because he didn't trust God. We would call him weak. We would call him uh, someone without courage. How could it be, Abraham, when you have all of the advantages that other people don't have? You have God's favor on your life. God said himself that people who when you're blessed, you'll be blessed. And people, when they curse you, they'll be, they'll be basically cursed. How is it that Abraham could bring such chaos to Abimelech's kingdom? You know what? God agreed with Abimelech. God basically agreed. He said, you're right. You're innocent, Abimelech. You're innocent. Then now I want you to see verse seven. This is a truth that changed my life. Now, even though Abraham is a liar, Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. What? This is what the scripture says. A prophet? Are you kidding me? In the natural, he's weak. He keeps making the same mistake. In the natural, he's fearful. In the natural, Abraham's a liar. You know what God calls him? God says he's a prophet. 
He's a prophet. You know, I see myself in that. Do you see yourself making the same stupid mistakes, operating in fear? And you know what? This is a part of the narrative that if it was up to us, we would say, Abraham has disqualified himself. Abraham, man, he, he needs to, he, he messed it up. Abraham messed up the promise. Abraham walked in fear. But here's the gospel. Here's the grace of God. God says, you're a prophet still. You're a prophet. In verse 17, I don't think it's on the screen, but let me read what happened in chapter 20, verse 17. It says this, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could bear children. God used this very flawed man, Abraham, right after his sin to be an instrument of prayer for healing to come. Here's a point, and if I haven't told you, fill in these blanks, through grace, God reaffirms our call even after our sin. God reaffirms our call even after our sin. Now, before you think, now Aaron's getting all wimpy on us. He's not preaching hard. You can go online. I've had plenty of sermons about holiness, about sin, about consequences, but this is different today. This is a different focus today. Today, the focus is on those of us who keep messing up and keep repeating the same mistake. And in our minds, and it may be in the minds of others, we're disqualified, but the Lord says today, no, you're still called and you're still a prophet and you're still a healer. Not because of you, but because other people need you. Even better, not because of you, but because God has chosen you. God has chosen you to be an instrument because other people need him. This is why Jesus chose these 12 really, really disqualified men to follow him. One he knew would betray him. The other nine of them would abandon him. John stayed to the end. Peter would publicly deny him. And yet he had this last meal with them. And he shared the most intimate of human, one of the most intimate of human activities, which is sharing of meal, sharing of our lives. They broke the bread. They had the Passover meal. And he took this cup and he said these words in Matthew 26, 28. I'm so glad Jesus said it this way. He said, this is my blood that establishes the covenant. Now look at this. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you glad? He didn't say the blood is just shed for the elite, for the few, for the qualified, for those who make it through the moral obstacle course and come out the winner. Then they're qualified for the blood of Jesus. No, he said, I give my life for many and he gave his life for those 12, those 12 there who were flawed and, and that would abandon him. That's what he did. So that's why we read the narrative and we see Abraham and we see ourselves and it reminds us that part of our job as a church is to do what Galatians 6.1 says. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. It's calling us. It's calling us to live this communal life where we don't 
judge each other so harshly that people feel demeaned and people feel rejected, but we call each other to a higher standard and we say, brother, sister, when you fall, I'm gonna be there for you. Brother or sister, when you mess up, I'm gonna take your hand and we're gonna get back up and we're gonna go to that place that God has called us to. You see, that's what grace is about. In the book of Titus, it gives us insight and it says, the grace of God, that undeserved favor of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So this is not a message that just tells us to excuse our behavior and to quit trying and to quit trying to improve. It says that the grace of God is so strong. It was so strong even in the old covenant on Abraham that it called Abraham a prophet when he was a liar. And so it calls us in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our mistake, in the middle of our fear, in the middle of our habits, in the middle of our addictions, in the middle of our perpetual mistakes. It says, rise up again, rise up again because the blood of Jesus has made the way for you. And so it is that this is a place to receive the joy of your salvation. In his darkest hour, when David had committed a sin none of us would accept, not just adultery, but murder that accompanied adultery. He prayed this prayer and he said in Psalm 51, 12, he said, restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. And can I tell you that that prayer was answered in the person of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ changed our salvation to something that we were trying to earn, hoping to, to earn, trying to position ourselves to something that he has paid for us, something that we receive, something that we, we delight in. And so it is that the scripture Even Genesis 20 always points us to Jesus. Every bit of scripture points us to Jesus. It points us to what he did on the cross and what the resurrection affirmed. It points us to waiting for him, waiting for his arrival, waiting for his coming. I want you to join me in prayer. I want to pray for you today. No more fear. Don't be dominated by fear anymore. Don't go back to those old patterns of behavior, old addictions, old habits. I know sometimes our, our negative habits that we resolve to change and then even after sermons like this very quickly, sometimes we say those harsh words again or we go back to that substance again. And I, I want you to know this is that there's a spirit of repentance that God wants you to walk in. Repentance is not a one-time event. You don't just repent today. It's a lifestyle. The Lord is calling you to a lifestyle of repentance. And if you stay humble before the Lord, that means every time you go back to something you don't prefer, every time you slip back into a bad habit, every time you go back to a wrong behavioral pattern, don't be hopeless. Don't sit there and, and, and begin to condemn yourself as if that by your power, you were gonna be able to overcome it by yourself anyway. Instead, have a lifestyle of repentance a spirit of repentance and say, I am going to walk humbly before the Lord. And even if I stumble, I will not stay down because by his grace, he will rise me up again. He will raise me up again. That's what our God will do. And that's what he wants to do for us today. I want to pray for you. No doubt that there's, there's some in here that may not know the Lord. And if you're not sure today, if you're saved, if, you don't, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, my intention today was not to make you doubt your salvation, it's the opposite. My intention is for you to trust 
completely and wholly on Jesus and what he did for you. And so I'm thinking of you today. And in a second, I'll give you a chance to respond if you don't know the Lord. But I have a feeling today that this message is pointing more towards people who are Christians, who in your mind, you've disqualified yourself because of a mistake you made. And you feel like you're stuck in your mistake and you're stuck in your past and that you feel like you have forfeited your call. But the Lord has used the story of Abraham today to tell you that even if you think you forfeited your call and parts of you want your call to be forfeited because you don't wanna go back there again. But the Lord says it's not your choice. It wasn't your choice in the first place. So it's not your choice to abandon your call now that the Lord wants you to know through the story today that you're still called, you're still chosen because it wasn't about you in the first place. It was about the people he wanted to use you to touch. It's not over, the Lord says. Others may have said it's over, but the Lord hasn't said it's over. You may have said it's over, but the Lord hasn't said it's over. You're no different than Abraham. You need his grace, you need his call. And so I'm praying for you today.